0: On this final weekend of summer, let's hear another wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack.
1: Good morning, Denny. How are you this fine morning?
0: I'm doing quite well. It was a nice morning. We're getting a little bit of much-needed rain here and there. Much uh, and, needed. Yeah, and uh, what uh, what is on your mind today?
1: Well, today I thought I'd address an interesting topic, cork. Uh, a couple years ago, I was in Portugal and visited the cork areas, cork is nothing more than the bark of a oak tree, a special oak, of course, cork trees, and the production and manufacture of oak, uh, of that cork, uh, to produce uh, wine corks is absolutely phenomenally interesting. You know, uh, aging wine has a lot to do with cork. Uh, it was a lost art. The ancient Romans and the ancient Greeks could age wine, and they aged it by putting the wine in clay amphora and then floating oil on the top. The oil on the top prevented any air from seeping in, and the amphora is porous enough to let a little air in so the wine would age. So they had the secret of aging wine. However, in the medieval dark ages, that was all lost, and people used barrels, and barrels were the only way of wine was stored. And, of course, a lot of air gets in, and a lot of the wine goes bad. So you generally drank the wine right away. There was no such thing as aged wine for a while. Then, uh, in the 1400s, people began to use corks again a little bit. And it wasn't really until old Dom Perignon, who was given credit for absolutely mastering the art of keeping the bubbles in sparkling wine, uh, he introduced cork as a closure. In fact, it's sort of interesting, a champagne cork closure, if you look at it before it goes into the, we all know it when it pops out of a bottle of champagne, it looks like a mushroom. Well, when that cork goes into that bottle of champagne, it's a perfect cylindrical shape. Uh, and if you look at it closely, and even after you pop a cork out now, if you look at it, you can see the cork Goes different. It goes vertical and then horizontal, then vertical again, horizontal. That's to ensure that that cork will stay in there and it's sealed at great pressure. And that's how you get that funny champagne Uh, when it's popped. You get that mushroom shape that pops out because the cylinder has been a little deformed by the pressure to keep it in that bottle of champagne. And bottles of champagne have to be made of fairly thick glass to sustain. Nine atmospheres of pressure, which is inside. But anyway, uh, back to porks, uh, our corks. Portugal produces the most cork in the entire world. In fact, 80% of all wine stoppers shipped all over the world come from Portugal alone. And as a matter of fact, the Iberian Peninsula gives us about 85% of the cork production of the world. Uh, Portugal has about 55%, and Spain has about. 20, 23 percent, something like that. So between the two of them, they were absolutely dominant. As a matter of fact, last year, uh, cork production in uh, Portugal went over a billion dollars. Their first billion-dollar industry was, uh, is the production of cork. And it's an unusual production. It's hard to do. They cut the bark off the tree, and they start that after the tree is nine years old. But the, you can't harvest it commercially until the tree's about 27 years old, and then they have to store the cork and treat it, etc. And very little cork is uh, wasted uh, because they use cork in so many different things. We often hear the argument about Stelvin closures, in other words, screw caps versus cork. There should be no competition there. They're both a nice way to seal a bottle of wine. However, when we're talking about a cork finish, uh, everybody in the world publishes a list at the end of the year of their 100 top wines. And whether it's a magazine or uh, uh, a book or a wine author or, or even a chain of uh, stores, they publish their top 100. And always, it's an interesting to me, of those top 100s, usually about 85% and up are cork finish. So that says a lot about cork finish wine. I think if you have a, a very good, very expensive bottle of wine, it, it is more prestigious, if you will. And actually, a better way to have the wine is with a cork finish than it is with a screw cap. Now, that's not to say there isn't space for screw caps. <clears throat> Believe me, I'm a big fan of screw cap wine. Some of them are absolutely marvelous. Some I drink on a regular basis come with a screw cap. But a really great wine should have a cork finish because usually great wine you want to last a while. And the cork finish does that where Stelvin closure simply doesn't. In my opinion, we tested this when I owned a vineyard in uh, Italy many years ago. We took some wine, Cork finish, then took some wine with stelvin finish and uh, took it back every two or three years for about 10 years to taste it. The stelvin finish remained exactly the same as the day it went into the bottle, it tasted exactly the same. The cork finish began to develop different nuances and things like that that you look for in an older wine. So if you, you need a wine that uh, for everyday consumption, which let's face it, 90% of the wines are for, are like that. The Stelvin culture is marvelous. It's not as romantic, particularly when we think about restaurant aging and the restaurant openings of wine. Uh, you know, there's ceremonies for champagne popping for an, uh, an engagement or some kind of event. Um, and you don't really get that with a st- when you unscrew a top. But it. it You know, there was a a thing that was just a horrible thing. It was called cork wine, and the cork of wine developed a taint from the cork, and this was about 20 years ago. And I would say as much as 10% of the wines produced had this cork taint, and fortunately most people didn't recognize it. They would think, well, I'm having a bad day. This just doesn't taste as good as it usually does to me, and blame their own palates rather than the real culprit, which was uh, this cork taint. However, the cork industry in Portugal has really jumped behind it and they've cleared it up so that this cork taint now probably is less than one and a half percent of all wines are corked anymore. And I will just say this, that any time I've had a bottle of wine, a magnum or larger, a magnum is two bottles of wine, that's the size, it's called a magnum, and I have never, ever tasted a tainted cork wine that was in a magnum size or older. And, of course, the Selvin cork became popular because of Australia and New Zealand. They were hit very, very hard with the cork taint years ago, many years ago. And they decided they were going to do something about it. And today, from New Zealand, it's virtually impossible to get any wines that are sealed with long corks. They're all Selvin. And in Australia... Uh, probably half of the wines are using Stelvin. And there's nothing wrong with this. You know, let's face it. uh, Portugal makes 40 million wine corks a day. Now, that covers a lot of wine, believe me. And uh, cork's been used as a wine stopper and a proven one for aging wines for a long time, and all the top-quality wines from around the world use cork. In fact, cork, uh, by some of the big names in life, they buy corks that cost up to 50, 60 cents a piece for each cork. But they're very special. They're longer, and they're especially hand-picked. And as I said, these corks come from the outer layer of the oak tree, which grows back, so they're sustainable. It's a sustainable thing. And if I could be biased for one minute, one of the things I absolutely can't stand are artificial corks, those plastic ones, they're hard to get out of the bottle, and they're useless, and they're not very good for the environment either. When uh, you're using real cork, you know, it's eco-friendly because it's a renewable resource, and uh, like I said, it's a fascinating thing to watch when they peel these cork. The peelers have to be really, really on top of their game because they can kill the oak tree and the oak trees, as I say, start producing really good corks after about 25 years and then can produce them for 50, 60 more years after that uh, if it's taken care of properly. Peeling the bark, as I said, is a real art, and they, the fellows that do it are just amazing to watch them do it. And, and then that bark is dried and finished before it's made into cork. And our uh, wine corks, anyway. Of course, cork has lots of other uses, but uh, the, Portugal uh, is really an interesting country to visit, anyway. But if you get an opportunity to go there, by all means, go down and visit some of those cork forests. Uh, they're they're used for grazing and growing wheat and everything else because they want the trees to have a little space around them. So unlike when we think of a forest here where the trees grow very close to one another. In an oak forest, they're quite a bit away from each other and have enough room for the canopy of the tree to spread out. And at any rate, uh, cork is really a wonderful, wonderful finish for wines. And like I say, there's no offense to Stelvin or Screwcap Hello.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) There was a gremlin in the system. I'm not sure where that came from.
1: (laughs) I'm not either. (laughs) It's okay.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. uh,
1: I wouldn't be biased against the screw cap closure. They're handy for bartenders, they're handy for everybody. Uh, and, And they have a real place in the world of wine, but so do cork finish. And those wonderful corks they're producing in. Portugal, like I say, it's absolutely uh, one of the fascinating parts of the wine business, in my opinion, is to see them harvest cork. So to get an opportunity to do that someday, don't pass it up. It really is special.
0: And don't pass it up, uh, the opportunity to visit any one of the Haskell's locations. No matter what you're looking for, you're going to get a lot of help there.
1: Indeed. The folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. They love to pair wine, and whether you're going to have... Uh, something very simple or something very elaborate, they'll help you pick a wine that will go perfectly with that. And best of all, they're going to help you pick a wine that doesn't cost very much. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars online. We have a Haskell's in Bloomington. There's one in Excelsior right at the Excelsior Dock. In Faribault off at of 35W, Maple Grove Superstore is 22,000 square feet of wines from around the world. Minneapolis has free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's the Haskells at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come in to Haskells, go to haskells.com. It'll take you right to our website where everything is available. And don't forget, we do deliver.
0: And, Jack, I know we have to, to leave here and head to CBS News, but to quickly, for those that are new to the show, how long has Haskell's been around here in the cities?
1: 87 years. And we're <laughs> Amazing. we're locally owned, and we're deeply involved in the community, and we love it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Jack, we'd love to have you come back next week if you have time to do so.
1: I'm going to look forward to maybe by that time we've got that gremlin smashed.
0: We'll chase him out of here for sure. <laughs> okay. all right. Thank you, Thanks, Jack. Denny. You bet. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.